Hey, welcome nerdies. English Dave here for a brand new podcast here on the Nerdy Bunch. Uh, we are huge fans of Star Wars, huge fans of uh, Disney Plus. We've decided to do a weekly review of new Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. I'm here with my new co-host, Eli. What's up, Eli? How are we doing today? Uh, Eli is a very good friend of mine. He's not been on this podcast, but he and I have discussed doing a podcast for a long, long time. And we said, you know what, let's start with a brand new uh, Star Wars series because we are huge Star Wars fans and we, we always have long discussions uh, on Star Wars. In fact, we just had a discussion prior to this podcast just now, which we could have recorded as a podcast. I think, <laughs> I think if we uh, had recorded what we just talked about for the last half hour, we definitely uh, would have had some good material. But, you know, we're going to we're gonna keep it going with The Mandalorian yeah, here. Yeah, that was just a practice. That's just a practice. Yes, The Mandalorian. If you haven't heard of it by now, where have you been? Because at this point, everybody's heard of Baby Yoda. And, you know, I feel bad for people who wanted to watch this show but had, hadn't yet because... You can't avoid the Baby Yoda spoilers at this point. Like, I'm not even going to say spoiler alert. It's everywhere. The memes are everywhere. Have you seen them all? It's probably like... <laughs> in your home. If you if you are like a media consumer, you probably have your own Baby Yoda at this point because it's right? that adorable. And it, it was it was shocking, you know, when you first when you first see it. Can, so. I, Can I tell you that was so shocking? And we'll go into it in the actual podcast itself. And that's why I feel bad for people who don't know about it. But haven't seen it. My cousin said, "Oh, but I don't have context." And I was like, "Yeah, but that's this is different because if you gave me a list of 100 lines to write all the theories I thought could come up in the Mandalorian, Baby Yoda wouldn't even be on that no, list." No, I mean, because because when do you really see a Yoda species outside right? of? I mean, you could have guessed so many things and not so, Baby Yoda exactly. And so, like, the first time I saw that, I was like, holy shit. And, but I'm surprised about how, how people have kind of latched onto it. That's very surprising. You know, like, I liked it, you liked it, but the fact that it's kind of trending everywhere. I, I, I don't know what uh, the animators do to make it look so cute, but it almost reminds me of the Porgs in a way of, like, I didn't necessarily yes. go into The Last Shot thinking, like, oh, I want to like these creatures that they had to create because of the puffins on the island. But like, there's mm -hmm. something they do with the face, and I was I no, noticed really wide irises. I don't know if that's a factor, mm -hmm. like something about the shape. But that son of a gun is cute. <laughs> I can't lie. Like, I'm not. I want to be like, oh, baby Yoda. Like, why are they? Nope, it's awesome. They've announced the merchandise will be coming in time for the holidays, and uh, my wife's already said that she wants one. So, baby Yoda, I'm gonna look out for that. Send one to me too. <laughs> Feel free. Um, let's go into the first episode. This is one of those shows that, um, for the longest time, I didn't think we'd ever get a show like this. Star Wars, funnily enough, has never really touched on live action TV series, even though I feel like this is proving that that actually works. Um, like I said, you and I are huge Star Wars fans, but when you heard about The Mandalorian, what were your expectations? Uh, we knew that Pedro Pascal was going to be Mandalorian. We knew that they were going to, John Favreau was doing it. And he's someone that has been playing with Disney for a while. He did Jungle Book. He did Lion King. And then Dave Filoni, who worked on the animated stuff, who you and I have talked a lot about. If I had my way, Dave Filoni would be Star Wars version of Kevin Feige. He does fantastic stuff with, with the animated stuff. But what were your expectations going into The Mandalorian from what you had heard? Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind about the evolution of television is I don't even think we could have conceived as of Star Wars working 10 years ago even. Mm -hmm. um, just in the fact of your expectations of Star Wars are visual effects and a certain visual identity that was not achievable 
in the television realm 10 years ago. And my instinct even today, even though we've seen Game of Thrones evolution, even though we've seen you know, a lot of new productions on Netflix that introduces CGI in a way and introduces cinematography in a way we haven't seen it uh, inside the home, I almost had this idea that like, well, it's not going to be quite the same as the movies. And then the first shot opens <laughs> and you go, this is, this is Star Wars in yeah. every respect. It's Star Wars in the original trilogy sense. It's Star Wars in what they're doing with The Force Awakens in this, you know, and The Last Jedi and everything they're doing now. It's visually consistent and it's gorgeous. Uh, and it's, it was just so impressive to see that come to life because I, I honestly had doubts in terms of what kind of budget are they going to need to pull this off? And, well, they got that Disney money <laughs> and they, they pulled it off. You know, and I think this is funny because I, I was talking to somebody the other day and said, if Disney had planned a streaming service earlier, movies like Solo and Rogue One would have been Disney Plus shows. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, like in terms of going outside of the mainline movies, it wouldn't have been side movie. It would have been side TV series. And I think... Disney Plus was a great outlet for them to have a reason to put money into this, right? Because they had to come out with a bang. And so, like you said, they had to put a big budget to this. And it's rumored to be between like 10 and $15 million an episode, which collectively is like a huge movie budget. Right. So that's the way they're approaching this. And you can tell, you know, they, they do not skip on any part of the budget for this one. Not um, even a little. There's no overkill either, though. You know, that's sometimes that could be the problem where you go too far. Right. Other, on the other end and it's, it, it's they don't do that it's a great balance i feel of keeping the tone and not making this like because especially with star wars you can run the risk of going super grandiose with everything because enlarging the life rather than keeping it simple in, in terms of this particular narrative and, and we certainly saw that with the prequels of course and we've seen that in other instances of you know different star wars whether it's the prequels or you know i think the newer um, one-offs. I think Rogue One did a great job, and I think Solo did a pretty good job, though there's quite a bit of CGI mm -hmm. in there. I think The Mandalorian, like exactly like you said, has this perfect balance, and the feel you get is so gritty and so raw mm -hmm. and so characteristic of what made the original trilogy um, so like uniquely uh, unique in terms mm -hmm. of its aesthetic that um, it feels at home. It feels like home, mm -hmm. I think, for Star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. And not just people who have been Star Wars fans since 77, but, you know, people who maybe had different entry points as we've talked about. <laughs> um, this first episode was directed by Dave Filoni and written by John Favreau with score by Ludwig Goresson. He did, he's did the score for um, Black Panther. And I think the score for this is absolutely phenomenal. I, mean, like, I, I absolutely love the score for this one. It, it feels like a Western. You, you hit it on the head. And the interesting thing was, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to use the right words to describe it, but like the, the score is a Western while also not what I, f it doesn't feel like they're using the same instruments or notes or, you know, whatever you no. would expect from a Western, but it is so much, um, harkens to that while also giving this truly like alien feel. Um, yes. And yes. It, it's sort it, of, it's like sci-fi instruments to do a Western. Right. It, which like how do you how do you even do that? And that's why this person is brilliant. Right. And that's but it but it it brings you in immediately. I mean, just like I said, oh, I remember from the first couple of shots. Away. 
I mean, you're just in it because it looks like it, but it, and, and what's, I think people underestimate is not just the, well, the score. I mean, uh, the score is, you know, paramount to the entire franchise. However, like you have the visuals and then the sound effects. I mean, that is Star Wars, right? right? So you have yes, that yes. immediately. And, and Favreau obviously is a huge fan because he, he brings that, you know, to the table immediately so that when you dive in, your suspension of disbelief is gone and you're ready to accept that this is a Star mm-hmm. Wars universe production. Mm-hmm. And that suspension of belief is super important because for something like this could be very corny if done incorrectly. Yeah. It could look stupid. It could look like Power Rangers, you know, right? because there's a guy walking around with this big ass helmet and this armor constantly. And, and, and we'll get into it later, but they do a fantastic job of making me see him emote, you uh, know, like, yeah. I, I feel like I see his emotions. <laughs> and, and, and you have a great, I mean, there's there's just a phenomenal cast and so like mm-hmm. every and, and that's a we go back to the budget they didn't skimp on any part of the production and that mm-hmm. includes the cast and um i think you know to be able to be to dive right in to the project um you have to be able to believe what you're seeing and that's so easy to do when you're immersed for you know in from an audio perspective visual perspective and the acting is somehow even though most of these people have masks on, and, you know, incredible prosthetics, all those things, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, and then you know the main character has a helmet on, okay. and it's just it's 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 brilliant that they can pull it all together because there isn't an amazing you know human emotion entry point yet. The storyline, mm-hmm. and we can you know get to Baby Yoda when we get there, but the storyline makes you dive right in because it taps right into those things, like a, a person yep. who's down in his luck. And then who's showing compassion? I mean, you just you want to mm-hmm. connect with that. And and how do you even do that when you have a when you know when you have a helmet on? <laughs> and it's not just like any helmet. It's like the, like a helmet that's so bland. It's not like a helmet that has facial features that right. can kind of fill in. It's like like Iron Man's helmet, right? You can kind of still see facial features in there. Right. Whereas this is just such a bland helmet. It's like, but yeah, you still see the emotion. You talk, you spoke about the cast. This does have a great cast. Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian which I thought was absolutely fantastic. I heard that the reason why he picked the role was because of Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac talked him into doing the role. Uh, who Oscar Isaac, those who don't know, is in the new trilogy as uh, Poe Dameron. Uh, we also have Nick Nolte as Kuhl, K-U-I-I-L. Um, Do we ever even hear his ca- name spoken? No, I saw it in the credits. Kuhl, Kuhl, Kuhl. Can I tell you, they do a great job with the prosthetics on him. Oh, because I still see Nick Nolte, but I still see the alien at yep. the same time. Yeah, I mean, he has spoken. You you mentioned <laughs> that, and he, I mean, he just brings such gravity to the whole thing. But also, what what I loved about the Mandalorian is that, like, in no way does this have Marvel cheeky comedy. No, but no. there's levity there. There's still like mm-hmm. the I have spoken. There's a mm-hmm. there's there's a the way you know he delivers the line. There's a there's enough levity there to remember like we're mm-hmm. having fun here. This is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed himself, playing Grief Karga. Uh, we don't know too much about him, and we just know that he is the guy that gets the gigs for the bounty hunters, and uh, for some reason, he's revered amongst the bounty hunters. We have Werner Herzog as simply the client. Uh, I think he's connected to the the old remnants of the Empire. Yeah, clearly. Uh, we don't know exactly, but clearly. Let's he talk has... about brilliant casting there. <laughs> I mean, like, when when you hear his voice... You are oh, Mandalorian. Great. Like, he's, it's just like, you, you couldn't get anyone better for that role. Absolutely perfect. 
you have uh, Omid Abtar as Dr. Pershing. Uh, an interesting character, especially after the most recent episode. I wonder where they're going with his character. Um, and there's some interesting things with his visual. Did you notice the patch on his arm in his uniform? I don't it yeah, is, I may have missed it. It is the patch. Uh, we'll go into details later, but it's the same patch that um, the is it Kimonians? Kimon, I forget the name of the other people. Oh, but, uh, from Kamino. The, clo- yeah, the cloners. The, yeah, the cloners. Kimonians. He has the same uniform, same uh, ident on his shoulder. So I wonder that that might tell us some things about possible either plans for Baby Yoda or what Baby Yoda possibly, possibly is. So we, we've talked about that a lot, and we'll cover this in a separate episode, but the, the potential that you can get from... I mean, it's it's established in the prequels. Cloning is a thing. Yes. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a race or a people dedicated to this craft. That opens up everything. And yes. maybe it opens <laughs> up things for Rey. Ah, mm-hmm. you never know. So many, so many possibilities. We also have Taika Watiti, who directed Thor Ragnarok, and also started Thor Ragnarok, as IG-11, the robot. Uh, spoilers, I mean, if you listen to this, you know you've seen the episode already. He gets killed at the end, but I hope that's not the last we see of him. I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, Taika, would, he, Taika is so, such a talent. I mean, how do you, <laughs> you, you bring him back, please, like for all of our right? sakes. Come on, come on. <laughs> and Horatio Sands from uh, SNL has a brief cameo in the beginning as Mithril. I love that opening scene. Uh, we'll go straight into the episode. Um, I like, I kind of like the Star Wars ident they have in the beginning with the whole spinning uh, you see the images of different uh, characters and it has a Star Wars logo. And I noticed they've been doing this in every episode where the sound of the episode starts then and it kind of transitions into the episode. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I, I like that. So the first episode, it, it starts with the beeping sound of, of the Mandalorian looking for someone. Obviously, it's it's Star Wars. They always have to go to Cantina and it always has to be a fight. I, I love the motif. Straight away, it tells us this is a Western. That whole motif of, or, or the trope of, the new guy walking in, everyone stops to look at the new guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fight starts. Here's a bit of a fun fact. One of the characters that we see in that fight who gets chopped in half, known as a Corrin, the squid-faced guy, and we first saw those in uh, one of the original Star Wars movies. I forget which which one, though. Um, it's from the from the planet Mon Calamari, mm-hmm. which is where Admiral Akbar is from, his species as well. Right. Um, that moment where we see the guy get sliced in two instantly told me, oh, it's this kind of show then. Okay. Even though we don't see it, it still tells you that this is not just, you know, a kid's show in the Star Wars universe. And I kind of, I like that. I think when we're going into a cantina anytime in Star Wars, you know, it's about to get violent. And the question (laughs) is how, how far are they going to take it? And I think for a lot of fans who understand the history of the Mandalorians, and of Mandalore and New Mandalore, you know this is a violent people. The mm-hmm. the race is predicated on that, and so I think a lot of people are hoping for that. This looks gritty. How gritty are we going to get? Because mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. seen a lot. I mean, Game Game of Thrones has set a precedent, and a lot of other shows that you know have become you know streaming you know binge type shows. And Di- it's Disney. I think there's some mm-hmm. there's some reservation there. Because it's Disney. Mm-hmm. How how adult are we going to make this? Because, I mean, let's be honest, Star Wars has a huge a huge uh, reason to be family-friendly in terms of mm-hmm. revenue from toys. So, with that being understood, when we go in and we see that, you know, uh, an immediate violent dark scene, just like you said, it's like, oh, okay, 
we're going to do this for eight episodes. I'm into that. And what I loved about this planet that we see is, you know, usually in Westerns, it's always like a a, a, a a town on the outskirts of the desert, sandy kind of a motif. This is ice, but yet it still felt like a desert. It was more ice desert right. in, in a way. And I, I, I like that we didn't start in a, in a sand environment. We get there eventually, but that's not where we started. We could have easily started there. Uh, Mando, as we find out that people call him. At first I thought, is Mando a derogatory like racial term? But then some of his friends call him Mando. I like, though I like it. I just don't want to be racist to Mandalorians, you know. Right, right. He leaves. He leaves with his bounty, and I like how it sets up as if he's there to rescue the guy. It's like, no, I'm here to take you for the same reasons they were going to take you. The yep. difference is, I'm not going to eat you right now. <laughs> right, right. That's an interesting thing, right? That they eat these squid kind of people. That's <laughs> yeah. It just what I love about that is that it's like we remember, like these are aliens we're talking about. They're not going right. to do everything that you know Homo sapiens do on Earth. They might do some nope. weird things like eat their bodies. <laughs> Again, is you know what I love about this is it reminds you like you are this is an alien place and the rules are different here. Yes, and, and again, we continue to kind of go go along with that theme of this is an alien place. When Mando wants passage, he has to get asked for a Kubas, an alien race with this with the long snout, which we first saw in A New Hope very very briefly anyway i like the idea that they have to uh play the flute to call the speeder we find out a little bit about the mandalorian that he doesn't like droids he would rather have a fucked up speeder than a good speeder with a droid i'm i yeah, was I'm really not. curious about that i was like okay okay <laughs> it reminds me of you know I, I really want to see a movie that talks about the persecution droids have because you know they're not even allowed in cantinas we don't like your kind around here you know like right I, and so much of the clone i mean the clone wars is as much as I think flack that the prequels get, and you know how I feel about mm -hmm. the prequels, Dave, which for those listening, I, I will defend the prequels. I'm ready to, <laughs> let's recognize flaws in all of these movies, but let's also not discount some positives. And, you know, <laughs> you, you sort of got that in A New Hope. We don't like your kind around here, right? Mm -hmm. And while that was a reflection of the time, and I think, you know, had, what was allegorical in that way, you that gets evidenced by... Uh, you know, the droid army and the droid invasions. And so I think that's going to play a big role. And I like, because in, in the latest trilogy, we, we see a lot of references to the original trilogy. We don't see a lot of references to the prequel. And there have been numerous instances in the Mandalorian where it's like, oh, right, the prequels do exist. They feed into mm -hmm. the storyline and it's relevant. And I like how you see that come to fruition here. Without, it's not like they're going to bring Jar Jar Binks back into this. <laughs> So it's okay. Like some, some of these storylines right. are positive and interesting and are going to have um, interesting effects on the, the protagonist. No, I agree. I agree. Um, once they get passage to his ship known as the Razor Crest, not long after the driver, I love the driver's like, be careful. And instantly he gets eaten up by the monster. And then uh, they try to escape, but the monster grabs onto them. Uh, it's known as uh, Ravenek. That's the monster. Um, it attacks them, but Mando stops it with his awesome uh, electrocuting rifle powers. We'll talk about that rifle later. That rifle's pretty awesome, by the way. Yeah, that rifle's pretty awesome. Some some... <laughs> yeah. Um, the bounty tries everything to get free. He tries to talk his way out of it. And I like this moment because it reminds us that the Mandalorian is a man of silence. So it's great to have this kind of other character doing all the talking and yammering uh, throughout that, that whole moment. And until he gets carbonized, another reference. To Star Wars, uh, which one was it? Was the uh, Return of the Jedi the first time we saw Empire Strikes Back at the end? Empire Strikes Back when yes, yes, yes. When Han so gets carbonized, yeah. it's, it's it's funny because at that point, 
it's mentioned that that's not meant for people. Right. And, you know, I think it was Lando who mentioned yeah. it. You know, yeah, so maybe yeah. since then they realized, point. huh, maybe we can start using it for people. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think so Han Solo is like the first test dummy for that. <laughs> or, is that or is that like a huge plot hole? I like to think that it's probably, you know, people figure out like, hey, this is super effective. Let's go. Right. I don't have to go with a yammering uh, bounty. I can just shut him up and freeze him. Done. Plus, I, I don't think a bounty hunter is terribly worried about, you know, human decency. I think it's no, about getting the job done and and that gets the job done <laughs> not at all uh, we arrive at another unknown planet and yet another cantina where mando meets grief Karga, played by the aforementioned carl weathers for more payment and the gigs and we get a bit of exposition here one we find out that this isn't long after the fall of the empire to the fact that the empire's currency is still being used but it's not being accepted everywhere the mandalorian is like i'm not being paid by that stuff to the point where he's willing to take a lesser amount and it gives, gives you such great context of where we are in the world without it's great exposition without being like, hey, this is exactly, you know, the little scroll at the bottom. Five years later, mm. you know, we don't yeah, exactly. have to, <laughs> you know, we don't need bullet points. We can just be yes. a part of the story. Yes. And people don't want to play guild rates. And this is where he tells the Manda about a special um, uh, a gig that doesn't require, doesn't have a fob, which they use to track uh, bounties. But the client requires a face-to-face meeting and it's paying a lot. So this is where Mando goes to meet the client, played by Werner Herzog. And like you said, his voice, man, fucking loved it. Yeah. Also before this, actually, we get a quick mention of the guild. First mention of the, of the which is something that I think we're going to really get into. Because yeah. if, the guild reminds me of John Wick. Yeah. You know, they have these yeah. rules and everything. <laughs> John Wick. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I think I think Warner Warner Herzog's character is just so fantastic, and you 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 knew it from like the previews. You knew it was going to be, of course. You know, it was, and, and he, it just was paid off tenfold. I love, I love, and then he's he's surrounded and again. This is more exposition. Again, this this show does a great job of exposition. We find out that we see these dirty troopers, right? We've always seen the the troopers trono clone as super clean even in desert environments right they've always been clean clothes you know there's never been a situation where we've seen a speck of dust on them and and they so look the fact that they have dirt on them they look but, like emaciated too i don't know if like you right? notice that but one like a couple of them look like and i think in later episodes they, they look a little more normal or maybe it's just the angles but like you walk in and they look like they've been through the shit and, right. which they have been. they haven't had a change of armor they've been wearing this armor for like weeks on end yeah <laughs> you know, and the attention to detail there you know they could have just had generic stormtroopers with shiny armor but no it's like mm-hmm. it's let's let's be true to the story here and, and paint a picture a little mise-en-scene if you will and and this is where the the, the the episode kind of throws us off right he finds out about the job is to find a 50 year old client so all instantly we, we're all creating a visual in our head you know and there's limited info. All they know is the last known whereabouts and also that it can come back alive or dead, preferably alive. And this is where we get a little hint of the doctor who's like, no, I want this thing alive. He wants, he mentions, he says he wants it alive. Who is he? We don't know yet who this he is. Um, and he gets paid with uh, Beska armor. Here's a fun fact. Beska steel, for those who don't know, is actually uh, sacred Mandalorian steel. And the Mandalorians being a, a warrior race, a very uh, a particular about what kind what they use for their armor and so him being paid in beska says so much and we see this ongoing in this in the series right where the steel is being was was stolen from them by the empire 
and has the empire stamp on it and it's paying him back with things stolen from his own people and i love that where that, that's possibly going that narrative is almost like reclaiming his stuff and this is where he then takes the steel to uh the, the forger the armorer and we kind of get a hint about this and you know that's one of my favorite parts of the about the mandalorians you know uh, learning about their culture and seeing how these things are important to them and i think that's a huge part of star wars about le- it shows you uh, examples of what other cultures can be like and i, and I think that's absolutely fantastic yeah you know? i think that's the benefit of of making um you know shows like these we we want to be able to see the intricacies of these other planets of these other cultures mm-hmm. that that um you know arose and that existed you know from before the prequel trilogy i mean it's just such an expansive mm-hmm. universe let's dive right in and there's so many different ways and and what better way to do it than a character that's always fascinated audiences mm-hmm. since we first saw him in empire strikes back and we get some f- uh, great flashbacks or well, some s- interesting flashbacks i should say about the mandalorian we hear about the something called the great purge which uh we know a bit of but we haven't got uh, too much information on we found that he was an orphan or which they call foundlings and we also learned that he has a, an affinity towards foundlings because he was one you know he does this twice within the couple of episodes we've seen where every time he gets paid he gives some of his payment to the foundlings and he makes sure that they get some of this payment and and i'm sure we're going to get more details on that um after that we arrived at a third another unnamed planet this time he's uh, attacked by a blurg a blurg is a creature we have seen before it was first appeared in the 1985 television film ewoks the battle for endor and it became canon in the clone wars in 2009 uh, so this is the first time we've seen it in actual like fully pro- produced uh, series and you and i spoke about this off podcast i understand why they use the blurgs but I, I i wish the design was better for for the purpose it makes sense they were canon there was something about like i get that it's a spaghetti western and so yes mm-hmm. you have the classic that bron you got to tame that bronco and mm-hmm. it was almost that was, I think, the only part of the from the three episodes that have been released so far that I wasn't like totally just drooling over. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. all right, yep, you're gonna, you're gonna, why waste the next five minutes or three minutes mm-hmm. or whatever it was watching this? Because I know you're gonna tame it and you're gonna do something and suddenly you're gonna bond and it's gonna be okay and you're gonna be off on your adventure. Yeah. And it's like the the great thing I think that uh, you know, Marvel's done. And I think that Di- you know Disney wants to do with Star Wars is subvert expectations for better or worse. The Last Jedi hashtag, <laughs> but you know, in this case, that was the only thing I was like, well, that was very straightforward. You basically just mm-hmm. took like a, a weird shaped horse creature and had him tame it, and then you're gone. And are you gonna you know spin your blaster pistol on your finger and then shoot it off, you know, as you ride away and say <laughs> Yahoo? But you know, I I think some people are gonna like that. That was just a nitpicky thing for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know. And this, I mean, I agree too. I think I wish it, it looked more horse-like. I mean, we've seen similar like a tantan or something like that, because that that for me worked. You know, when we first saw a tantan, because the, the way it looked, it looked more comfortable for a, someone to ride these things. And I think that's part of these creatures don't look like you're supposed to ride them. I, I agree with that too. Yeah, it's like it's like if you're gonna make it a horse, basically, you might as well make it more of a horse, right? Right, right. At least you know. Um, uh, we also this uh, this this is when he first he then meets Keel or um, the character played by uh, uh, McNulty. We don't get a name for him, and he saves him from being attacked by the Blurgs. That attack, I like that attack. And this is one of the first things I started noticing that they don't make the Mandalorian a perfect warrior. Not in any right? way. 
He's he's like, terribly he, vulnerable. Right, completely. So many many moments that happen. You know, and it, and it shows that he needs help. He needs people around him. He can't go at it alone. For someone who's supposed to be a lonely lonely character, he actually picks up a couple of people that help him along the way, which is usually the story, right? In these kind of uh, uh, narratives, this character helps him, and I like the idea for why he helps the Mandalorian. He's like, everyone's been coming to look after, the, find this asset that you're looking for. I just want you guys to leave. You know, I don't, that's all I want to get it done and just get out of here. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of like that. Um, we also get some exposition, though, when he talks to the Mandalorian, saying that his ancestors used to ride the Mythosaur. Um, I kind of like, I wonder if we're going to come back to that because we keep seeing the Mythosaur skull uh, in the armorer's room. We see the image and we see, we all see that imagery constantly of the, of the Mythosaur. It's an insignia that's used throughout. It's even in the flag on uh, Maz Katania's uh, castle in The Force Awakens. And it's on uh, Boba Fett's costume, actually, in the original trilogy. Um, when Mando arrives to find the bounty, we, that's where we first see IG-11. He's already started shooting everywhere. Uh, IG-11 is who's played by Taika Waititi, the droid out there. And again, once again, Mando doesn't like droids. This droid, I, I like this character, though. <laughs> I like the idea that he's just ready to destroy himself because the client doesn't want any... Uh, evidence put out there in the middle of the I, th- I think you can imagine with Taika Waititi's character, like anytime he's in, you know, something that he's involved with, it's going to be kind of funny. When these decide to work together and he's like, but I, I take all the recognition for this, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> he's so good. He is a, he is an absolute gem. I, and that's why I hope we see more of them. Yes, exactly. This is why I hope we see more of them. Um, all hell breaks loose in the fight and this is when the minigun comes out. Like, again, you talked about levity earlier on. And this is, we get one moment of levity here when the Mandalorian is like, no, no, we can take them, we can take them. He turns around, big ass machine gun. He's like, nope. <laughs> he jumps right back into the corner. And I thought that was a, a good funny moment that made sense in that moment. You know, it wasn't, it, did, it didn't feel like comedy for the sake of just forcing it in there. Right. Um, we'd also get a good moment to see his skill taking out that gun. I thought it was pretty cool. That's a great action set piece around that time, taking out the gun and just like taking everyone himself out. I like that. And this is where the big reveal happens. The 50 year old baby. Um, you know, I didn't expect to see this coming. and But in hindsight, it makes so much sense that we're going down this road. We see the baby. Uh, the droid is saying, like, no, I've been told to kill the baby, which, again, some exposition, because Mando was told, bring it alive. The robot's told, kill it. And later on, we find out that there were more people sent after this baby. I love the visual where the camera pulls in on Mando's face. We see the blaster flash. We hear the sound. And then the droid drops. That was done so great in terms of uh, a visual. I love that. And that whole scene, I mean, you saw some of the artwork that came out in the scene with the with Mando reaching his finger out and the baby Yoda reaching his hand out. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing was just clearly done so well, such great direction, mm-hmm. such so well thought through. Um, and, and to have that in addition to just the shock, because sometimes I think it'd be easy to rely on the shock value. Uh, but no, it's just done beautifully, choreographed wonderfully. And, uh, I think, you know, once the episode ends, everyone just goes, holy shit, <laughs> did, did that just happen? Right. And, and I remember thinking the first thing I thought was, holy shit, we just saw, wait, what's that alien race called again? And in that moment I realized, holy shit, we don't have a name for the alien race that is Yoda. And it never occurred to me that we didn't have a name until that exact moment. Do you like, think oh, wow. they anticipated that everyone would be calling it Baby Yoda? Because what else, what other context do they have? 
Right. So, of course, because right. it's not like the Star Wars franchise is saying, oh, and we've introduced baby Yoda. It's clearly not Yoda's baby, but no. we don't have anything else to call it. So, and so I wonder how they're going to market that. And that's, that's a different question. But like you said, from a species, like, what is it? Yeah. I just love that the way they capped off this episode was, here's the spaghetti Western and the sort of, you know, you have enough of that sort of samurai influence, uh, the Kurosawa feel. And then mm. we're going to, you know, give you that satisfaction. And then we're going to bring forth, you know, maybe the most beloved character in all of Star Wars or an iteration of that. Mm-hmm. And then just leave you hanging. Just leave you hanging. And just, everyone was just like, wait, what? What? <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, what is this? What is this? What does this mean? And there's so many theories. And we'll go into the theories in future episodes. But there's theories of, you know, like, did Yoda have a secret baby mama? Or is it a clone? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dagobah gets lonely. So I'm just saying. Right? But then if this baby's 50 years old, then, like, where has it been? Like, 50? Like, a lot has happened in the last 50 years. You well, know, that's like, the, the interesting thing. So 50 years prior, uh, the Republic was still intact. And that's what I'm saying. This baby su- survived Order 66. I mean, there's, and, and that just goes to show how, like, how many places this could go. Because realistically, yeah. Yoda was alive 50 years ago easily. Yes. And so yes. maybe there won't be a connection at all to Yoda. And maybe no, there should be. I mean, be. there's so many ways. But then again, if you go with the clone theory... You could say, yes, the baby is the equivalent of a 50-year-old of that species, but it was only born two weeks ago. But they, you know, they, they aged it up to the 50-year-old because that's what they do with the human, the humanoid clones, right? They're aged up to like whatever age, 20, like a mature adult age, right? Well, yeah, they said after what? It was a couple, what, a couple th- two, three years. I forget what it, that what was said in episode two, but two, three years yeah. was the equivalent of like an adolescent and then like four or five was yeah. like a 17 or 18. Like... And and what I what I do love and what I hope to see is I do hope we see enough connections to what we know of the original trilogies and the prequel trilogies and even the sequel trilogies, so that we can have fun with these plot lines. But I want it to be mm-hmm. different enough that we're not entirely reliant on those existing storylines mm-hmm. too. And that's mm-hmm. what I think the Mandalorian is going to deliver overall. And what the sense that I got from the first episode was we are exploring a new realm that's tied to the original trilogy, but we are going to go full on into this world. So I'm very curious about how they treat Yoda in that sense, because as much as I want to see that species, do I want to see Yoda again? Mm -hmm. Like if he was a clone, for example, like if this Mm -hmm. baby was a clone, I don't know. Like maybe they could do cool stuff with it, but like, I'm just like the big question is what is the tie and the question? And it begs the question, what is the tie to Yoda? And that's the, those are the questions. If there is a tie, right? And and, and we're, we're assuming, like you said, it could just be of its of Yoda species. And what does that say? Because you know we've seen another of Yoda species. I think it was a, a, a female called Yaddle in like one of the very very briefly, and she was also on the Jedi Council. So are we saying that every one of this species is force sensitive? That could be another angle. And that and that raises a larger question about force sensitivity. Why would some mm-hmm. species be more inclined to? or be more mm. prone to be force sensitive. And and you and I spoke about this off podcast where we kind of had a theory that what if their uh, lifespan is connected to their force sensitivity, you know, where it's that they live that long because they're so connected to the force. And that's why, because the force is life, right? Essentially throughout the universe in, in a way. So 
that could be because do we know many other species that live as long we don't know there's so many possibilities in life so many possibilities and uh if you want to find these possibilities with us join us every week for our mandalorian chat or whatever star wars discussion we want to do that week um eli this has been very good first episode i've had a great time it's good to be here with you (laughs) i'm I'm excited to explore a little more excited for these new episodes to come out and as you Um, said with the sets i mean the last thing like i'll add for for you know anyone who's had maybe hasn't watched or is interested in watching is that i think the mandalorian is going to be groundbreaking in certain ways in that it's taken the what is you know quintessential big budget hollywood and has distilled it into tv without any loss of quality without any loss of production mm-hmm. this could be a huge shift in you know mm-hmm. what the movie going experience is yes i mean this could be and monumental. This is the first example of what not only Disney's going, uh, Lucas is doing with Star Wars on Disney Plus, but also potentially what we're going to see with Marvel, right? Because we know that the Marvel have TV shows coming to Disney Plus, and if this is a indicator of what's to come, count me very, very excited, and I'm glad that I have my subscription. Um, for me, I mean Mandalorian alone, like it's just made it worth it, right? Absolutely, like, uh, I'm, Absolutely. I've loved it, and it's in 4K. Oh, beautiful! beautiful oh, 4K. get a 4K TV <laughs> if you don't have one. Get a 4K TV. Oh. Yes, Black Friday is coming up. Um, thank you, Eli, for joining me. Pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you guys are fans of The Mandalorian, let us know some of your thoughts after each episode. Find us on social media at The Nerdy Bunch. We'd like to hear your thoughts. Thank you guys for listening. My name is English Dave. This has been our very first episode of The Mandalorian Review. And as always, keep it nerdy, guys. Peace.